I had a wig. Well, I had two wigs, and they were fun. And if at first I wore them a lot, and then I got to where I just wore the cap or a scarf. And I was really proud to be the cap person, you know? Yeah. And plus it was winter. Now, if I were doing it in summer, I'd be like, oh, I'm not right. Oh, yeah, forget it. Yeah. I would just... Well, I say I would go bald. That's not a true statement at all. I would definitely still cover my head up. I Yeah, I don't think I would have... I. I but didn't ever get smooth ball. I thought I I'd didn't get, get this smooth perfect ball smooth. Either. No. I got like what's up with that? I got like stubble. Br- current state Bruce Willis, where it's like completely <laughs> kind of smooth on top, People but then pay like good money for that. That we're yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's working for him. I gotta say. Welcome to Breast Cancer is Boring. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So Lauren is not with us this week, but instead I have my friend Kim Montgomery in from Houston. And this is our first time meeting in person, actually. That's correct. And you were referred to me. You came to me as a referral from my good friend Jonathan, who said you have to meet my friend Kim because A, she has breast cancer, but also, she's a very cool person. We so, love Jonathan. Shout out to Jonathan. Shout out to Jonathan. Very good. Excellent person and great marathoner. The best that I know of. Bet Definitely better than Glenn. Um, just for anyone who's interested in that. Mm-hmm. That's statistically proven. So, aforehand on this podcast... Lauren and I talked about our origin stories. We talked about how we got diagnosed and how life kind of gets canceled. So why don't you talk about how you found out um, what your origin story is, what you're in for. Sure. Uh, I'm about a year into the journey. And just FYI, I think we all kind of hate the word journey. I think it's overused (laughs) in the cancer world, but I've tried coming up with other words, and none of them are quite as good. Um, So I'm about a year into my journey. Uh, I had my original screening mammogram done on October 10th of 2018, so almost exactly a year ago. And that screening mammogram picked up a lump in my left breast that I was not there when I had my well woman exam in May, so six months previous. And so... I was referred for a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound and had that performed. And immediately the radiologist told me that this was a serious lump and that it needed to be biopsied immediately. So I went ahead and made the appointment for the biopsy while I was there at the facility and then walked out a little bit in a daze. And we've talked about what that moment is like. And we can circle back to that if you want later. But it, it, it is a moment of your brain simply cannot process information as fast as it needs to process. And unlike you, I'm not a medical professional. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't necessarily have any background to, to, to fall back on, so to speak. Um, so I made the decision pretty quickly within that day to call my internal medicine doctor. My OB-GYN had referred me for the mammogram. So the reporting was going to her. And that turned out to be one of the best decisions I made. And how I had the foresight to do it, I, I truly am, am not sure. So I've been seeing her for a number of years. I'll say eight or nine years. I like her a lot. I chose her because she was younger than I was, which is maybe not the best way. And she was in a practice I respected. And and she had a very kind face. Shout out to Dr. O'Brien. And um, so she saw me uh, the next day. And she then referred me on for uh, for the biopsy. And that was done, I would say, probably within a week And then I had the diagnosis. I had that done on a Monday and I had the diagnosis on Friday and was in the oncologist's office the next Monday morning. And then after that, of course, it was a lot of procedural stuff. You had to have testing. You had to have, I think I had an MRI. I think I had CT scans. um, I had an echocardiogram. I had my port placed. And then I started 
my first dose of chemotherapy on November 21st. So from initial mammogram, October 10th, to first dose of chemotherapy, November 21st. I was staged at 3A. I would have been a lot happier at 2. I tried to bargain down. Truthfully, I did. You were 3A? I was 3A. Why did I think you were 2? No. I, I really, I, I wanted to go to 2. I, I tried. <laughs> oh, God. Just, apparently, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it was 3A... <laughs> Because of the size of the tumor, number one, although the oncologist readily admitted to me that she was measuring the tumor after the biopsy, by that point it had been a week since the biopsy, exactly. And she said blood can pool in the tumor site and that can make it seem bigger. But it, it was, I, I don't know how we feel about cursing on the podcast. I'm not a big cursor, but it was a big ass tumor. Oh, we fucking and love it. And it had also spread to the lymph node. So um, hmm. that was what led to my staging. So the oncologist laid out a very clear path. Um, she, uh, we would start with chemotherapy in the hopes that we would shrink the tumor, and then we would move on to surgery. And the type of surgery I had would be predicated upon how much the tumor shrunk, uh, whether I would have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And then I would do radiation. And because my tumor was HER2 or HER2 positive, I would do infusions of the drug Herceptin for 14 rounds after radiation was finished. Ironically, you and I were, we were on the exact same protocol, which was such a gift, and we'll come back to that as well. But my cancer was HER2 positive, uh, progesterone negative, and estrogen positive. Really? Yeah, and yours is... Triple positive. Triple positive, correct. I find that so... Okay, when the you said hormones that before, right. are like isolated like that, I find that so interesting. And I'm not smart enough to even know what that means. I mean, neither am I, but it just, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I literally had never even heard the term HER2 before the doctor is calling me with the diagnosis. And I, I, I mentioned this to you. I looked back at my notes and I had, I had written like H-E-R-T-O-O because I, I didn't, I, I I, I kept thinking her had to do with the fact that I'm female and that I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what she's talking about. So, but you really get kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool in terms of terminology re really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So yes, I did oncology nursing for the first about four years of my nursing career, my long and tenured nursing career mm -hmm. of all of eight years Storied. combined. Yeah. And we didn't see a lot of breast cancer because I worked inpatient in a safety net hospital where you came in when you had Mets everywhere. So at that point, even if breast cancer was your primary cancer, we were concerned with the spread to your liver and your gut and your pancreas and your kidneys sure. and all of that. I cannot honestly remember if I knew the terminology her to before this diagnosis or not. And that's the way memory works is like it reprograms your brain because in my head I knew about this and I knew it was totally a thing, but I, I don't really know that for sure. Well, and interestingly, I'm the first of my friends to walk this path. So I had not had a good friend have treat, get diagnosed with or be treated for breast cancer uh, during the time that I knew them. Um, so I, I didn't have any frame of reference. I, I, I've had a, I have a good friend who had lymphoma, and I had learned uh, probably more than I would have ever learned about lymphoma during her treatment, but I really did not have that area of expertise at all. So you do kind of get thrown into the deep end of the pool very quickly. So at any rate, now I've, I've done my six rounds of what I'd like to call big chemotherapy, and I had surgery. I had a lumpectomy. And then I went through uh, 33 day, days of, yeah, okay, we just made a face there. It, really, when you work it mm -hmm. out, it was eight weeks, I people. Know. It was eight weeks. And uh, so my radiation, and while starting radiation, I started um, the infusion of Herceptin, but was lucky enough, as, as you were, to get approved to do a, a, not necessarily a new drug, but a new drug for our particular protocol, if I understand it correctly. Yes. Because I did have some residual cells left at surgery. Same. Uh, right. And so I had been treated with a taxane at chemotherapy, and I'd had surgery, and there were a few residual cells. So I was approved for the infusions that we're doing now, CADSILA, or we like to call them originally before I could spell it, Godzilla. Um, <laughs> so... Um, 
now my spell check brings it up automatically, by the way. I've typed CAD Silas so much that it yeah. knows what I'm talking about. That's right. Um, and so I was, I felt very grateful to, to be, uh, to be approved for that because the stu- I tried to read the study. There's a lot of math. I don't necessarily understand. There's a lot of like P values. And, Correct. You Two know. big studies. And the, the rate of, it, it reduced the rate of recurrence dramatically and so i was i was thrilled to be to be approved to to do it and so now i'm doing that which i kind of call chemotherapy light because truthfully it's the side effects are nowhere near it's the same thing i agree that's nowhere near nowhere near they're much more subtle but when you add them all together it definitely for me anyway and maybe i'm just complaining but it makes a big difference in my daily life the symptoms when it at a time when your hair is growing back yes and everything about you looks totally healthy and so like the difference I think between expectation and reality is even greater than when I was on chemo proper that's an excellent point uh I think one of the things that that I have come out on the other side believing about this is that I've been extraordinarily lucky and I guess it seems like an oxymoron to say that about getting diagnosed with cancer, but I, I was retired, so I had the time to deal with it. I live in Houston, uh, so obviously we have a major medical center there with some of the top-notch uh, cancer treatment. I'm not at MD Anderson, but they drive the cancer process in Houston. Everybody brings their A game, really, because they're pushing them. Um, I, so I had the location to deal with it. I had the organizational skills to deal with it. I had the financial wherewithal to deal with the expenses that were going to come with it. And I had good health insurance. So I feel the same way. I, I, I can't say enough about those things contributing to having the outcome that I've had. Um, one thing that I'm kind of keen to do, there's a local cancer organization that does volunteer work and I have met a couple of their volunteers during my treatment they come to different facilities and uh, I I think I would like to volunteer with them on the back end they they encourage well they want you to be completely through with treatment before you train I I understand that okay Um, I get that um you have a little more perspective I think at that point and um and because not everybody is going to have that fabulous uh, that, that set of resources, they're just not. Um, and it it was, I was incredibly, incredibly lucky to have that. I, I mean, I'm not retired, unfortunately. I didn't financially plan that well in my life to be retired. Okay. Let's just jump in here. (laughs) I'm a lot older. (laughs) I know I don't sound that way, but (laughs) Also, you're just savvy. Like you were That's savvy. Right. I'm a savvy. Planning. You're I'm a, a savvy, savvy paralegal gal. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So. Yeah, but I think about this. I think about what if I, I mean because I was a manager. I say I was a new manager, but actually I was two years in at this point. That's how funny memory is. It like skews your view of the past. But I had ha- I have this job where if I had been still bedside taking care of patients, there's no way I could have done it with my compromised immunity with the lack of energy that you feel and sometimes the lack of empathy that you feel for others when going through treatment at least for myself there's no way I could have done that but because I had this manager position I could work from home the week after I got infused and like answer an email go shit my brains out come back answer a few more emails more shitting you know like I was very privileged in that way. And I had FMLA. I had short-term disability benefits for yeah, when I did mo- surgery. A lot of people don't even have short-term disability. They don't. That's true. Yeah. It's not covering any of those expenses. Yeah. I have, I th- I think, really great health care coverage because I work. I mean, the implication is because I work at a hospital, I have great health care coverage. And I know that's not true for everyone all the sure. time. But I feel very much that it's true for my organization. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And... I don't understand how anyone goes through this. I mean, without that, even though I've seen those patients, those were a lot of my patients. And I honestly, I didn't think about that part of it. Well, I didn't think about that either. And that kind of dovetails with what we were 
saying we were going to talk about today about having friends. I, I only I was married for the first time at 56 years of age just three years ago, and so which is just a so newlywed. <laughs> I love that. It is so I know it's it's a great. It story. is so sweet. It's a sweet story. And see, that's what we should be talking about. There should be a whole podcast a, a podcast about your that. relationship and how you met this guy. Right. But it was insanely uh, lucky, and, and I know that because I've seen my other friends try and do online dating. And let's face it, at, after 50, it's a bit of, it, it can be a bit of a wasteland. And a lot of times the gentleman your age wants someone a good bit younger. Mm. So I was very fortunate to find someone. I could have done this alone. I, I absolutely could have. I have a, a deeply dedicated and loving group of friends that are my family. I'm an only child. My mother was an only child. My dad had one sibling who predeceased him. My only first cousin predeceased all of them. So wow. I'm I'm a little bit short on immediate family, and but I, it it could have been done. But boy, having someone there when you are that sick made all the difference in the world. It 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 really did. And and he, someone told me before you before you marry someone, you should travel with them and you should get sick with them. And there's a certain truth to that. That's wise. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, uh, we were already married. Uh, I had gotten a stomach bug once before and he was very solicitous. So I, I thought, okay, he seems okay. Um, uh, to even use stomach bug and the reaction to chemotherapy in the same sentence seems completely right. ridiculous because they are so, <laughs> people tell you, oh, I've, I had diarrhea. I'm like, oh no, you didn't. No, yeah, no, no, people no. tell I don't you. Yeah, but it wasn't what I had. So, um, so yeah, it was definitely that was definitely a gift to have him in, in my life. So I, I can't, I simply can't say enough about how wonderful he was. Yeah, people. Speaking of people, because mm-hmm. you were saying people say people do say the darndest things about just all kinds of stuff when you have cancer. And the people closest to you, so like your husband, my husband, that's like one layer of people. But the people that were so highly variable to me were everyone outside, I guess, my household. Mm -hmm. So outside of me and my partner, my husband, and it was just highly variable. As long as you're, and I know that not everyone goes into cancer treatment, having a really great, solid relationship. I felt pretty solid, and especially in in this in particular, because I'm not the one in our relationship who gets sick. And at this point, we'd been married for, I think, like 14 years. And I'd I'd never been hospitalized. I'd never even gone to see the doctor for anything. One time I got bronchitis. Mm. One time. And I had to be half dead in order for him to convince me to go to the doctor. He, on the other hand, has asthma, and he has really bad allergies. And living where we live, the allergies here are just ridiculous in Austin. So can't even. So he goes to the doctor, like, as part of a routine. And every time he goes, he's convinced he has something very serious. So when this happened to me, it was quite a dynamic shift for him. Sure. Because my plan, he's also older than I am. My plan was always, he'll get sick someday and I'll take care of him because that's what I do. Well, and that's such an interesting point that you bring up because my husband has Parkinson's disease. And for those of you not familiar with Parkinson's, it's a boutique movement disorder. Boutique meaning that everybody manifests slightly differently. So there's no one, you know, paradigm for Parkinson's patient out there. Michael J. Fox being, of course, probably the most famous person with Parkinson's. So. Mm. Um, and obviously he's, he'd been diagnosed since before I met him. And so I went into our marriage with my eyes open that there was the possibility, because it is a progressive disease, um, that I would fill the role of being a care partner to him at some point in our relationship. It seemed logical that that would happen. Quite frankly, it seems logical because women often take that role, number one, and we often outlive the the men, number two. He and I happen to be 24 days in age apart, so we're very, I mean, we're the same age. But this completely flipped that dynamic, and that's exactly what you are saying. And they're unprepared for it. Well, he he probably was unprepared, but he really stepped it up and brought the A game. And in a way, I think he was grateful 
because I think he has worried. Her friends are all going to think she's going to have to just take care of me, you know, and and oh, I didn't think about yeah. it that way. And I and here I can show uh, uh, this is a two way street. Okay. And I, I think he he really relished the chance to show that. Yes. Yeah. So I guess my husband really just bought up his his care package for end of life. Really. I was just going to shove him in a home as, oh, as soon as he started wetting himself. My next-door neighbor is putting her now, husband in the attic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I might, I don't know, maybe we'll we'll put him someplace nice. But that front line of defense, having your spouse is a very important. But I found it was the circles even outside that that were the most fascinating in this process. Fascinating is a kind word it for really the way can I be. feel about that. I think you and I have maybe had slightly, well... We've maybe had slightly different uh, experiences with that. I, the The irony of ours was that through no fault of our own, we were remodeling the downstairs of our house when this started. Oh my God, that's... So we had actually broken ground on the kitchen in September. So by the time I was diagnosed in early November, that ship had sailed. There was no sheetrock, there was no floor, there was no kitchen. Oh my God. And so we couldn't turn back. Turning back was worse than going forward. Yeah, you had to finish it. So they had set up what is known as a meal train for me during the construction. Wasn't that nice? And the funny thing about it was the person who had the great idea to set up the meal train had to call me and say, I can't figure out how to do this. Can you come over to my house and set up your own meal train? Oh my God. So I did, and that was fine. Um, so we got it set up and people had actually started to bring, um, meals and it would be once a week and they would bring a meal. Well, then I got diagnosed and then it became a lifeline because we had no, I, I so think wait, we, wait, this meal train was prior to your diagnosis. It, it was, was just all for the because you didn't have a kitchen. That's correct. That's correct. Aren't yeah, they? Your neighborhood is different. They are. I'm telling you. Okay, because I was going to, so I wanted to go back to that because I was like, once I was diagnosed, if someone had come to me and been like, hey, you have cancer, so we're going to make all your meals, but you have to kind of set it up, I'd have been like, no, no, no that's okay. I don't. too much trouble. Like, I immediately. No, it was before cancer. <laughs> that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I know. So we, we, I think we went platinum on Uber Eats after a while. I mean, I had this grand idea that I was going to. You can go platinum I was on gonna that? Cook. I don't know, but I, if, we, if you can, we did it. You got the credit card and everything? Everything. Uh, you know, I had, I thought, oh, I'll cook, you know, well, that kind of went out the door after round one. It really did. You just can't. I mean, no way, no way are you cooking? Look, I don't cook baseline. Sean has always cooked our meals. And that, that was, I mean, that saved me that he was able to cook and modify, even though really at, at a, by kind of the end, I was eating plain rice maybe brat diet yeah bananas yeah. rice maybe applesauce bananas yeah applesauce tons of those like and the I, little cups of applesauce oh you got the cups i didn't want the cups i just wanted the squeezy things that like baby oh. you give babies because they can't handle a utensil that's what i wanted wow. i regressed i regressed pretty hard yeah but I, got, I used to get irrationally excited at night when he would bring up my little cup of <laughs> applesauce. Ooh, applesauce time this will stay <laughs> Ooh, inside my so body good. yeah this tastes no, like something I, I, it's, it's so true, of course, that your taste buds change and all of that, but we really couldn't have done it without that group of people. And it, I, since we got on this topic, I'll give my, my few little tips for that. And that is, one, if you're bringing someone a meal, please put it in a to-go throwaway container that they can just throw away. I nearly went insane Aww. trying to keep track of everybody's containers for a while and yeah don't make someone with cancer right. clean your casserole no. dish and because my mother would have demanded no less initially I was writing thank you notes I mean real thank you notes on paper and everything and I, I no. wish you could see Jocelyn's face right now it's hysterical no. so I was doing that and that lasted about probably two to three weeks into chemotherapy and then that flew right out by the way dark. then it, it got to be a thank you note and then they were lucky if I just grunted at them <laughs> <laughs> but if I didn't, you know, say, sorry, got to go. Um, but bring it in temporary containers. And that that's a, a huge thing. And also, what I found most about people wanting to help, and I don't know if you had this or not, is that people would say to me, what can I do to help? And that puts it all right back on you, yeah. on the person who does 
not need to be making a decision at right. that point. You don't have the energy to make a decision that like that. That is correct. You're and right. So, and I also, when it's put on you, you don't know how much to ask for because that is correct. it's such an open question that you don't know, does this person mean, how can I help you every day? Can I drive you somewhere? Can I pick up and drop up? Can I come into your home and do all your dishes, which is all I really wanted someone to do? That is all I wanted someone to do. It's, it's all, okay. All right. So my tip for this is offer things and, and be very specific very. about it and say, hey, can I come to your house and come into your kitchen and wash all your dishes and load your dishwasher and do a load of laundry and promise that I also will not talk to you or comment on the way that you look and I will just bring you a hot pad if you want one or make you a meal and then I will leave as quietly as I entered and we never have to speak of it ever. That's what you should offer. That would be one of the most ideal friends and what I learned through this is that I didn't know how to ask for just that. So here I am sitting in a neighborhood where probably half of the 223 households would have done something for me. So yeah. I could have picked up the phone and th that sounds like a big number and I, I don't I don't mean it to sound braggadocious or whatever. Yeah, bragging over there, Kim. But, but I really could have probably picked up the phone and called a number of people and they would have said, yes, I'll do it. But I didn't know what to ask for, especially not having a kitchen. If someone had just said, I'm going to stop by Monday, Wednesday and Friday, give me your key. I'm going to go upstairs and rinse out those glasses. That every time I, we had a dishwashing station set up in our guest bathroom because it had a, a sink that a, a bin would fit in. And we had a kettle that we would boil water with and then we would make hot water to wash because we had no kitchen. So this um, sounds horrible. And we had no dishwasher. And so if they had just said, I'll come wash dishes every day, I would walk by and see that. And I would just kind of shamble back down to my, thank goodness, I had a, an office with a sofa in it. And I would just kind of go back to that and, and hang out. Yeah. And if they had come and done that every day, I would have been insanely happy or every third day. And I think Jeff would have been insanely happy as well because it would have taken it off of him. And it put it all on, yes, yes. the husbands, the partners. because Correct. And they go to work every day and they, they're thinking about you at home or you trying to go to work, you know, and trying to like make it through. And that the stress of that is like this low key sure. drain on their system. And then sure. they come home and... And for me, I wanted all these things to be done, but I didn't want to ask him to do it. And the thing that I didn't realize, I thought, I thought when you get something like cancer, it's like carte blanche for you to act any way that you want and no one can question you. And that, and, and logistically, maybe that's true, but on the inside, I still felt guilty oh, sure. for not having a clean apartment. I still felt guilty for not working out. Oh, and I no, know, I dropped that pretty quick. I know, I know <laughs> and the how clean crazy thing, that sounds, but I construction thought... Construction dust. I now, thought, come on, do you really feel that bad? I, I will say that I dropped any pretense. We had a chair set up. Uh, it was our folding chair from football games in the what was the dining room. And I would go down in my pajamas. The contractor arrived at 7 a.m. every morning. And I would go down there and sit in my pajamas with my bald head or my little cap on. And we would have our kind of, this is what's going to happen today meeting. And I really, I gave up any pretense of going down it dressed. That just, I mean, I, I probably I'm wouldn't like have done that before. putting yourself together no. and putting on. No makeup. I mean, I'm, I must have looked like that. But to be completely fair, I've known the people that work for our contractor for 30 plus years. And they're wonderful people. And they were devastated. And they were trying to do everything that they could do. To, to be you know good to us but it, this, it's hard that's a good point okay so here's what I found there's like the two best types of people for when you get cancer are your your very close partner whoever that is whether you're married or in a relationship or you have a best friend or a roommate or some someone great like that and then the people who barely know you like barely right. know you or only know you transactionally so like my Starbucks barista, my Starbucks barista was just a sweetheart to me. Like when I started covering my head, mm -hmm. or, well, I got a buzz cut first and he asked me about that and I couldn't lie. 
because you're just telling everybody at the beginning because you you're just to try to test it out like sure well is this even a thing that's happening if i tell this if person if i talk about it maybe it's not really there yeah or like yeah maybe they'll be like that can't be right and they would be like yeah it can't be right they must be wrong but anyway telling him and then just like the look on his face every time i would be go i would go in and then when i stopped going in because starbucks like most things would make me shit my brains out no matter where in the chemo cycle mm-hmm. i had it and then my husband would go in because I would order him Starbucks on my phone and he could go pick it up. And for him, that became like a luxury that he got to do because of all the extra things he was doing to help me. And so every time that my barista would be like, hey, how how is she? Like, is everything going OK? And that was so sweet. The ladies at the La Mer counter. Oh, my gosh. The she still ladies. texts me, the lady at the La Mer counter. Oh, my God. She These... had been through cancer treatment before, too. Oh, when really? I went. Yeah. Oh. And I went in because of you. So, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. Because I told you about the cream? Yes. Okay. Yeah, in case, in case there's any illusion, I'm bougie. And they were just... Because you walk in, you got your head covered. Something's, they know something's they know going something's on. Up. You let it drop, like, casually... And then the they just loaded me up with like samples. Sample city. And, oh, it, I still have samples. That was like a year ago. And I still have them and I'm still going through them. And it was amazing. It's just, and the look, I got a little bit like low-key addicted to the that look that people will give you hmm. when like, so... When you're ha- when you're like waiting in line and they see you far back or you go up to ask for something and there's this look that they get and then, then this over eagerness to please you or to make something okay for you. Right. I really at kind of resented loved that. Well, and that's such an interesting point because there there is a way to approach that with with people about do they want to talk about the cancer stuff that day? Do they not want to talk about the cancer stuff that day? I had read a fabulous book well before I got diagnosed called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. For those of you who are not familiar with it, Kate was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer, stage four, and she was, I think, in her late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, she had just young. She had like a two-year-old. And Ugh. so this was about as devastating a diagnosis as she was going to get. And so, but it, it was a charming book that really, t- I, I wanted to, to learn how to be a little bit more empathetic about that. So for the most part, the, the people for me, like you're talking about, the fishmonger at Whole Foods was my barista at Starbucks because he, you know, I, we'd had a longstanding relationship and he obviously saw my hair go short. That was the key because like you, I went and got a cute shortcut. So when then it fell out, it wasn't going to be as traumatic. Yeah. And that really clued people in very quickly and sometimes some great things came out of it like the young neighbor who saw it and complimented and I told her what had happened and her mother-in-law had died of cancer and she said I'd like to help you with your neighborhood communications and she's now taking it over and she's doing a fabulous job and see that's a great offer you know that that was an offer now there was an offer again it's the people who barely know you right and they just we had in that moment yeah they mean she had a baby and I would coo over the baby that was Aww. yeah so it's the for me it was the people who we as healthcare providers are so much of our time is spent caring for patients that this definitely happens like if you are a family member of a nurse and you get sick and if, especially if that nurse works in the hospital like I work in where it's a trauma center and I was an ICU nurse for a while when my husband would get sick and be like, oh, this is serious. And I'm like, this is not serious. You are talking and breathing on your own. <laughs> Until there's a tube down your throat, you're fine. Go to work. So then it happens to your friend and your coworker and all, and you just don't know how to act because it's a caregiver getting sick. And, I, and I've mentioned this before, but for me, it was a complete dynamic shift. I thought being an oncology nurse was my greatest insurance against ever having cancer. Mm. I, it never entered the realm of possibility for me that I would have it. And when I found my lump, I was like, well, this is nothing because I'm a nurse. I right. don't get, I don't get sick. I don't get really sick. You know, I take care of people who are sick. And then the, the deal is I take care of you 
and no one ever has to take care of me. So deal. And so it's very difficult when one of your friends who is a nurse that you work with and is your colleague gets sick. I think, I think my friends and my coworkers just didn't quite know how to respond and they were so kind, but. And, and cancer, you know, being sick implies that you're, well, you, you do have an illness, but other than the treatment, I mean, the cancer itself was not actually making me sick at the point where I was diagnosed. I felt fine at the point I was diagnosed. I felt diagnosed. so great. Right. So it's really been the treatment that's made me feel crappy. And uh, so it, 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 I, I have come out of this hoping that I have a much better understanding for my friends who have struggled with long-term illnesses that are not curable, but are not as immediate as cancer. Yes, I absolutely did not have this insight before. I was that person who, if anyone around me, especially if they were also someone I worked with, got sick in any way or even like had a baby and were recovering from the physical trauma that is birthing a human child, I, I did not know how to react to that and I did not know how to offer help. And it's right. only through this that now on the other side of it I can act like I know that only because I've been through it whereas that expectation that other people would just magically know what you need is maybe not founded in reality well and I think the important thing to remember for people who want to offer help is you don't have to do everything you 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 just want to do something we literally got overwhelmed with offers of help in the first week not everyone can help in the first week Cancer will, my, my journey technically will finish when I do my last Cadsila infusion, which is March 6th of 2020, which is ironically a year to the day that I finished big chemo. There's a certain symmetry to that that I really oh, like. Oh, man. Um, but that will have been a long time from October 2018 to March of 2020. There's plenty of time for someone to help in, in that time frame. There are plum assignments of helping. Everyone wanted to go to chemo. I'm like, you can't all go to Everyone chemo. Everyone wants to come to your Why infusions. Why do you want to go to chemo? Chemo yeah. is the most, Jeff was like, I'm going to every session. I'm like, you don't need to go to every session. It's boring. You need to go to the first one. I think that's important. <laughs> and I would like you to be my chemo buddy for the last one. <laughs> but other than that, and he went one other time. Um, other than that, you don't need to go to chemo because there are, I found the one week visit going to the doctor after chemo was my worst day. And he, Jeff did take me once or twice to that, but then I had other friends take me and God love them. They, they were good friends. Cause there was one of them that I had to say, can we pull over? And I'm running into this place to go to the bed. You know, yeah. they were very loving, kind friends. Cause I clearly, I just, I did not, this was not a let's go do this and then have lunch kind of day. Um, so but there just there there wasn't enough to go around, and that's that's a blessing of friendship. Truthfully, it is. It is. Um, but you can't all go to chemo. You just can't. I remember scheduling my infusions. Like okay, because mine I don't know about yours, but mine took like eight hours. It was a full day. My first one took longer. I had one infusion nurse that I swear to goodness she either had no other patients that day, <laughs> or she had a Swiss watch. And she was just right there because, we, oh, I see. you know, we started at eight and we finished like at two. Wow. That's amazing. No, we were, we were boogieing and that's with blood work, but see, they would start my Herceptin before the blood work came back. Oh, mm, it's a little trick. Okay. I like that trick. I'm going to try that when I go back in for my Cadsila this next time. See, but mine is all, that's all one drug for me. Yeah, same. The Cadsila. So they won't hang that before. They, they wouldn't. Yeah, they would do, but they would run the Herceptin. Oh, and with all the, before the, the chemo blood work came and back. then wait for it to And come then back. they okay. would do the Zofran and Benadryl. And, yeah. I see you now. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense to so me. So that sometimes, but eight hours. Yes. It, it, it was a good six hours. It takes a while. Hours. And I remember I scheduling people in three hour increments. Oh, and I would have as many as three to four people rotate in. To my infusion chair, and I bet this drove this had to have drove drove the the people there crazy because like I'm this constant like revolving door, but it was it was nice. And then I think it was my fifth infusion, like because I had six, so it was the one before the last one. Right, 
I didn't have anybody. And it wasn't, so it wasn't for a lack of offers, really. And it was just kind of like all the stars. My best friend was pregnant. She found out she had a baby tumor at the same time that I found out I had a breast tumor. And so she was managing her care for that this this day and just happened to fall on this day. And then another friend was out of town that usually came. And my mom had had offered to come. And I had told her, no, don't come this time. You know, I have... A lot of people, you don't have to drive, and she drive. She would drive like an hour to sit with me, um, which was is very sweet. And and I had kind of like brushed a couple of people off, and then there were a couple of people who couldn't come, and I end up ended up getting that infusion all on my own. And it was like it was kind of lonely, but it was also well, I don't know. You don't always want to talk the whole time, and the best friends, my, my the. The best friend that I mentioned is a CPA. And so I've had the bad luck to do cancer treatment during tax season. So <laughs> she, that was obviously a non-starter. So she wasn't going to be able to be there. And that, it might not have been her strong suit. I don't know. It might have been. There's a joke there and I'm just not quick enough to pick up on it. Uh, yeah. So I, I really need to work on scheduling things. But but <laughs> my my other best friend has had a lot of experience with working with people with long-term illnesses and she's had a big loss in her life at one point and and she has a ton of empathy and she was the very first one that figured I mean she would text me and say there is no need to text back I'm thinking about you right now just wanted you to know that and you know oh, God, and I was that's, like that's, that's like the masterful. biggest gift you've ever given me so like the day she spent with me at chemo we had this magical day we talked, we read magazines, we showed each other pictures of ki- kitchens, and you know, it, we just, you don't ever have six to eight hours with someone just to sit and be with them. You just don't. So even though you're getting dreadful drugs pumped into your body, not the best, but you know, I always felt pretty good on chemo day. I felt the best on chemo yeah. day. I would go to this coffee shop that was right up, because I couldn't have coffee, because it gave me the runs or whatever. Everything did, though. It wasn't yeah. coffee's fault. But there was this coffee shop that had has a special, they call it their moon milk. Mm. And it's very, it's proprietary blended. You don't know what's in it. And it, it just, it's the smoothest, most wonderful latte I've ever had. And I was able to tolerate it only on chemo day for only some on reason. Day. I didn't push it on any other day. And so it was like this whole ritual of going there and getting that coffee and then going in. And then, yeah, just sitting with people and you're not watching TV. Nope. And they, they don't. They feel like bad if they're on their phone while you're getting chemo. So you have like their full attention and it it's quite lovely. And they would bring me treats because I could eat that day with with a certain measure of confidence. Oh, sure. Because I had b- just been given like a full dose of IV steroids, which no, yeah. really no, makes you feel so much better than you were feeling prior to that. It was it no, was it was lovely. a good day. The, the, the three friends that went. On those days, we we had a good time. One had done cancer treatment herself, and so she was very familiar with, you know, how to feel and all that kind of stuff. The other one was like, wow, I get a recliner. This is great. And so we just kind of, you know, because it was never that. I was also very lucky. The infusion center where I did my treatment was not at a big hospital setting. Um, it, it was a little more quiet. It was in the in the practice where my oncologist was. Now I'm infusing at a big hospital in their outpatient cancer, and it is a beautiful center. I feel like it's kind of like a cruise ship. And <laughs> if you can score a room with a window, you're a porthole. You're the world's saddest I mean, cruise line. It's just it, it's there. It's really very nice. So um, and and generally pretty quiet. I still don't turn on the TV though. Isn't that funny? Even though they have one in there no I don't I I sometimes I found I only took magazines with me sometimes now I'll take a book I found it hard to concentrate enough that's something I don't think you and I've ever discussed is kind of sometimes the lack of concentration that comes with treatment yes you just feel so bad that absolutely concentrate and that may be a, a a function of mental fatigue certainly physical fatigue is something people talk to you about a lot and I have really still kind of beat myself up over that I just don't feel like doing as much as like we're going to a wedding tomorrow night which is why I'm here I'm having a really good hotel room nap before the wedding wedding's not until 7 30 I go to bed at 8 <laughs> I th- yeah no that's a very good plan they don't prepare you so I knew about physical fatigue and I think 
part of it was just reading about it in the literature and then part of it was watching my patients and I could see their physical fatigue but what I couldn't see was exactly what you're talking about that mental fatigue and sure. I was wholly unprepared for that yes because I was like physical fatigue I can take it as long as my fingers work I'll get tons of writing done. I get to stay at home from work. I mean, it's all these plans you think you'll be able to yeah, accomplish. I, I couldn't even binge watch television that effectively. No, I, I didn't care. I just care. didn't have. I did not care about I just did not have anything. the mental energy to, to do that. And if someone had tried to wrest the heating pad out of my fingers, <gasps> I probably would. I thought I was going to need a 12-step program to get disconnected from the heating pad. I was like, don't take my heating. I'm, it's here with me. I Did you bring with it with it. you? I, are, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, we're moving apartments. You saw my apartments are wrecked. Yes. And in the moving, I found my heating pad. There is no reason I need a heating pad. Nope. I haven't used that thing in months. And I should have some negative dis like association with it, right? Like, mm. oh, no, this was a chemo prop that I had. But, oh, my God, putting that thing on my stomach after... Having some, I mean, I don't know about you, but the shits that I shit, it felt like some demon presence was taking their long, like, nails and scraping the inside of my bowels and just dragging things out of me, like, ripping things out, like, from probably, like, from the underboob down to the pelvis, all of that. And without that heating pad, I would have just been like, just no, stop. It was my We're lifeline. not doing this anymore. Nope. I can't. I, it, it, it really, uh, yeah, I had two. I had one in the bedroom and, and one in, in my study with the sofa. And thank goodness for the study because I was able to just lay in there and I had a television that I could turn on and I napped almost every day and I didn't overschedule. I mean, I had doctor's appointments and stuff, but. Uh, you just, you really can't do enough. And what I did love though, was friends that would say, I'm going to come by, I'm going to stay for 30 minutes. I, one person in particular who had been through breast cancer treatment and we knew each other, but we weren't really close. We've gotten very close through this and I've just loved that. And she's been a fountain of practical advice. A couple of people sent me their chemo lists of here's what to watch out for and here's what to do and not to do and those practical tips were invaluable those were great friends and and I really enjoyed that and she'll say I'm going to stay for 15 minutes and she even made signs for my front door because you have to understand our front door was unlocked because of the construction and because I live in this oh highly God. dysfunctional wonderful magical neighborhood land People would just come in. So she made me the funniest signs for my door. One of them said, remember the movie The Hangover? This is worse. Come back later. <laughs> so uh, then one said. She hung keep out signs yes, for you. Yes. And neighbors, the view is great from upstairs. Come up and say hi. You know, that kind of thing. It was great. So people wow. could know, you know, is, is she up for company today? Is she not? Because that that was hard initially. That's uh, it, so articulate of your friend. Oh, to it know was to it was that. genius. It was literally genius. Yeah, because she knew people were just coming in. <laughs> we live very different lives because I live in an apartment where you have to fob into the parking right. garage, then you have to fob into the door that lets you into my hallway. That you would then have to have a key to let yourself into my apartment, right. where. Most of my friends have never been before because it's a studio. So I, you know, we don't typically entertain. Right. Because to entertain someone in our kitchen or living room would also be to entertain someone in our bedroom, which, you know, is okay with me to a certain extent. But we did at that time only have the two chairs. So it kind of limits. Sure. Many friends understood time limits and understood when to come by. And I, I think the trick is approach something with your own strengths. So when you approach someone to see if you can help, let's just say, I know the medical center very well in Houston. Not a lot of people can say that and probably wish they didn't. I could say, I will drive you to doctor's appointments. Get, you know, tell me three days and, and I will do that. Or if you're going to bring dinner, say, I make a mean 
chicken and wild rice, a mean salmon, and a mean, uh, you know, lasagna. Which of those three would be better, would, would work better for you? So my next door neighbor, God lover, who was one of my, we we're very close, and she went to chemo with me one day, would just say, I'm bringing dinner and say, okay, Jeff, go to the garage. And so our garage, we're in a townhouse. So our garages are right next to it there. And he would walk out into the garage and she'd be standing at our garage door with a perfectly cooked dinner in a disposable pan that we could literally just walk in and eat. That's genius. And she was always good about checking first. That's the other thing. I had a lot of people that would call and say, I'm bringing you dinner tonight. Well, it's 430. By that point, we pretty much knew what we were having for dinner. You'd already that planned night. it, right. yeah. So do realize that people, it, it may need to be something that needs to be frozen or that could be refrigerated for the next night. Or That being said, there were times when she, the next door neighbor would call and say, do you need dinner tonight at 3.30? And I'd say, yes, we do. So it, it's just, just be prepared for people to maybe not be able to utilize your gift right at that second. Also, the... Giving someone the gift of choice is very important. And one thing that I hadn't even thought to ask for, but that I desperately needed is the food that's available at, you know, our swanky Whole Foods across the street was not the food that my body was best ready to accept, gastrointestinally speaking. The things that worked really well for me were like processed cheese sticks Mm -hmm. and those jello pudding jello pudding you too like the chocolate pudding with the white stripe in the middle (laughs) oh my god oh my god i find i went out to the we have a fridge in our garage and there were three cups still in there yeah they had expired like four months ago i was like does it matter good no there's no way they expired (laughs) they're still good i almost cracked it open i was like no it's not even food (laughs) that is so funny we never talked about that the processed food which is not something that exists I would in my have house ever eaten and we and it's not like yeah we can drive to the grocery store but you know how austin traffic is when you live downtown oh, no. yeah, and the, the closest heb is like congress and old Torf, and it's kind of shady and you don't want to go at night because you yeah. get stabbed so when i discovered instacart because i had oh, no concept I of instacart because my yeah. husband was my instacart he would go get the groceries and come home you yeah. know so giving if I know of anyone who gets this or any kind of cancer or any kind of like diagnosis for any disease, I am going to find a way to gift them an Instacart account and I'm going to preload it with like $100 so that they can just have food That's correct. that they choose and that they know works for their body delivered straight to their to house. Them. That is one thing that I took advantage of very early on in chemo because I do my big grocery shopping at HEB. Shout out to HEB. Um, for those of you in Texas who know what it is, and I do my produce and fish. This episode and stuff has at so Whole many Foods. sponsors. Oh, it does. H E B. Give us money, H E B. We're here for you. Um, <laughs> but they started doing curbside, and they deliver as well. Well, I started doing curbside, and so I plugged it in, and I would just go pick it up. They load it in the back of your car, and off you go. Oh, is it like on the commercials where you just pull yes, up and they just put it in your and trunk, they, and they're like, "See ya, see ya." And sometimes, if Jeff is really lucky, he gets a cookie. <laughs> um, so I started doing that for my big grocery run. I could manage Whole Foods, where I was getting two pieces of fish and a chicken breast, and you know, but the big run to HEB, I just couldn't do like cleaning supplies and paper towels and cleaning. No, that wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, um, you're right. And There's so that like really that. saved my bacon because my resi- my fatigue was high, my resistance was low. That really saved my bacon. And I, I have to be very honest, I'm still doing it right now. It's free <laughs> if you do it the day before. And like for this weekend, I thought I'm splurging. We took he, Jeff took Monday off, so I have my list already in for Monday, and they're gonna deliver because they deliver as well. So. It is a huge thing, and if you can avail yourself of it, it is, and I mentioned Uber Eats as well. I mean, we did that mainly because we had no kitchen, so. That's also um, helpful, I mean, we moved back into the kitchen in February, I think, and I finished chemo in March. And I think understand that all the ancillary costs associated with There is a cost. There's cost to, you know. You, you think of the obvious stuff, gas for trips to and from the doctor's office, co-payments, your deductible, all those things. But then think of all the scarves that you had to buy or that 
at least for me, oh, that sure. I that I had to buy to cover my head to match my blazers right. so I could still go and be a working professional right. so right. that I could have the health insurance that was paying, paying for, for my treatment. treatment. And then also the heating pad, all the Clorox wipes. I don't know if you went crazy with Clorox wipes and Purell, but we sure I'm in did. A 12-step program for the Clorox yeah, exactly. wipes. <laughs> We buy them in bulk at Costco. They're in the garage. Yes. And it's all these things, the creams for radiation, because you're trying your best not to have your skin peel off of you like, like an onion. And it just does anyway. And it's all these things. And I I understand that it's not necessarily like the essentials. Like, did I need a tub of La Mer to get me through? No, no. But you did need it. I needed it. I wanted it. I wanted it. But you also, you did need someone to bring you those groceries. And you were not afraid to say, okay, this is what I need. This is where I think I failed at asking people. In some ways, I failed to ask people to help. I mean, And don't, don't mistake, like, I ordered my own Instacart. Oh, I did too. I didn't. I didn't ask it, someone to order for me, that, no. And again, it's not that any of my friends, especially my work friends, would not. They offered. They wanted to do things for me. I just, I was bad at asking for help. Me too. I didn't want to be a burden. And I will say that definitively is what my mind went to. I want to show people that I can do this. You know, strength is about independence and being able to do things. And mm. I, I don't even believe that. I don't even know. I would never say that to someone else. I would never say to someone else, well, you don't really want to be a burden on people. So as long as you can do it yourself and you know, you have a good job and your husband works as well Mm -hmm. and you're financially sound and you really Mm -hmm. shouldn't take, you know, any help from people when you really don't need it. Like that is never anything I would ever say to anybody. And yet that's what goes through your your mind. mind. You don't suddenly become good at asking for help and you don't suddenly not feel guilty for not getting your own shit done just because you have cancer. And that is very disappointing because I would love to be availed of the burden of that. And if cancer doesn't make you that, then what does, what does? (laughs) Well, and I think it circles back to something we talked about earlier today before we were recording and that is control. I yeah. love control. I love I, it so much. I, I adore it. It makes me feel so good. It does. <laughs> I like to be in control. And I admit it. I, you know, I, I, I'm about to turn 60 and I'm not going to waste any more time because my friends will tell you, uh, I had a good friend. He lives in Spain. He wrote and said, I can't think of anyone that is better equipped or more organized to deal with this. And I thought that's the best thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> You know me. Um, it is true that control is important to me. And asking for help is giving up some semblance of control. And I think I've learned that, and I really don't, well, actually marrying someone is giving up some semblance of control because they're loading the dishwasher differently than you load it. Let's just face it. Yeah, and, and they think they're doing a better job. I don't know why. Um, but I would have been happy to have someone load if we'd the metaphorical dishwasher since we had none at that point, mm. but to have the dishwasher. And if I have the chance, and I hope I don't because I don't want any of my good friends to go through something like this. If I have that chance, hopefully I would be smart enough to step in and say, I'm let me handle these. This is the overarching point is this is adult above average friend time here yeah you have to bring kind of your a friend game and you're going to have some people that are there and you're going to have some people that you're very surprised are not there and then you're going to have some surprising dark horses that are going to come up late out of the gate and just overwhelm you with how important they can become to you in a short amount of time this is your own journey it cannot be what someone else expects this to be. You have to figure out how to deal with it yourself. That's right. And, and ultimately, God love it, if it comes back, I will figure out what I want to do. And if it comes back when I'm 89, it'll be like, okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. You Bye. know, so, but it, that was not true of me at 59. I was not ready uh, to say that. So I was ready to, to do what I needed to do. Yeah. To 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 get it done, so to speak. Exactly. So. Thank you. This uh, has been a, a treat. treat. 
Not just for me, but literally for anyone stumbling across this. Well, universally. And if be they, grateful, people. If they are stumbling, we're so glad you stumbled here. Oh, yeah. And we hope this helped and and reach out. You yes. Know. All right. Go forth and be better people. That's right. And be a people. better friend. And be to a better friend. Right. And, and accept help. Occasionally it can be a good thing. Yes. It's not a loss of control. It's just it's where not. you are at that moment. Exactly. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs>